0: Welcome to Episode 3 of the Future is Inclusive technology podcast. The Future is a workplace built on empathy, brought to you by Cisco. Darren was a little nervous heading back into the office. He'd taken three days off for his mental health. His company had introduced a workplace mental health policy several years ago, but he still felt guilty making use of it. Since the 2020 pandemic, the corporate world had come to appreciate the value in employees taking time out when they need it. In Darren's world, the year is now 2030. Welcome to the workplace of the future. It's been said that the future of work will be hybrid, defined by what you do, not where you do it. Joining me today to discuss this tectonic change in the workplace is Peter Garn, Professor of Management at the University of Melbourne and Research Fellow at the Centre for Workplace Leadership. Welcome.
1: Hi, Heidi. Nice to be here.
0: And from Cisco, Australia's number one place to work in 2020, as announced by the GPTW study, James Comer, Head of People and Communities, Australia and New Zealand. Welcome. Thank you, Heidi. Great
2: to be here and great to meet you, Peter. You too, James. James.
0: The last year has been, in many cases, an experiment in what's possible. So what have businesses and their leaders learnt from the pandemic?
2: Look, I think they've learnt a tonne of things, at least I hope they've learnt. And I think uh, probably the three biggies that that jump out in my mind um, is firstly, the importance of enabling and empowering their people to make daily decisions about how best to do their work. And I think uh, organisations need to learn by that and trust their people to be able to figure out what they're going to do where they're going to do it how and and also when so i think that's definitely one big lesson Um, in line with that the importance of trust and also empathy as vital ingredients for creating employee experiences that both engage human beings but also connect people as professionals as well so getting that uh, that mix right and appreciating the human behind the professional Um, and then thirdly um, the role of safety Uh, we know from Much of the research that's been going on out in the marketplace, um, mental, physical and digital safety is really important to our people, whether they're at home or in the workplace or uh, even out in the community doing their work. Um, So really important that we help them to be productive and to do so feeling safe and secure in in how and what they're doing.
1: Yeah, no, I I think James is on the money. I think sort of trust and listening, sort of uh, being prepared to, uh, if you like, sort of uh, uh, empower people to contribute to this process of experimenting, working out what works is important. It's easy probably to underestimate what's happened over the last 18 months. I mean it's been quite extraordinary how quickly and how profoundly the world of work has pivoted away from the way it was working and I think this pandemic has shown that uh, people can be trusted far more then managers implicitly, generally have trusted their workforces. They have to uh, delegate some of that capacity to make decisions and to trust people's intelligence and their expertise to be able to make the right decision. And generally, that's what people have done. Uh, And coming out of it, I just hope that organisations don't think of it as just a click back into what was there before, but there are some clear learnings around these things.
0: And so, Peter, to elaborate there, can you shed some, some light perhaps on on psychologically or behaviourally why a hybrid is perhaps the preferred option?
1: Well, it will vary. The extent to which people have to interact and coordinate. So uh, there'll be some some work contexts where, in fact, you can imagine the large part of people's working lives can be accommodated uh, through a distributed sort of work arrangement through virtual work, but for others particularly where there's an interface with customers or consumers of what you do, uh, there's gonna need to be some sort of interaction through a physical sort of location. We will require some uh, adaptation of management to to this sort of context and the way that leaders go about leading. Uh, For example, we know that when people work in a more distributed way, Uh, they tend to begin to think about each other in more abstract ways and they begin to dehumanise others. And as they go through this process of dehumanising others, they're less likely to cooperate, they're less likely to trust and to get into a a process of coordinating their activities. Now, that seems horrific and you would think, well, let's bring everybody back so we avoid that. Well, in some instances, we need face-to-face contact to avoid that dehumanisation But there are things you can do even through platforms like WebEx uh, to humanise the experience of working in a virtual way. So there are are important cues you can take by the sorts of things that you do and the ways in which leaders might bring people together to interact not around about work issues, but around who they are as individuals so that they can be humanised in that process.
0: Hybrid work is more than balancing working from home with working from the office. It's a universe of collaboration and technology that can increase productivity and enable success like never before. Thinking about this universe of collaboration, we have to acknowledge that employees will have different needs and uses for their workplaces. So what will businesses need to understand these needs and plan for the future?
1: Well, I think sort of a starting point is to is to understand how people want to work sort of to begin with. Um, And I think we've got a bit of an inkling of that, but again, it is going to depend on the particular context, the organisational context, the nature of work and so on. So it means you almost need to collect information or data On an ongoing basis so we're seeing many companies using things like pulse surveys to check in on how people are working in a hybrid way to identify particular problems and so on and all of this is really useful information for understanding what this transition back to work will look like it is going to take some period of time. It's not a snapback, it's not as if we just go back to some revised model to return to work. We're gonna, uh, I think, have a graduated process uh, through which that, that sort of happens. So people, I think, will become, individual employees and groups, will become more assertive in making demands about what sort of technological uh, requirements they have and what sort of resourcing they need to make it work. When we work virtually, we're taking not just work into people's homes, we're entering people's sort of homes in their private sort of spaces. So we're beginning, if you like, to participate in their non-work sort of world. Uh, when we when we expect them to work at home in a in a hybrid sort of way, it also means we we extend our responsibilities about their well-being, their health and safety, not just in the workplace, but actually to the home and what happens in that particular sort of context. And working time is just a almost like the tip of the iceberg uh, in this. So some of the the recent research looking at what people are doing during the COVID period suggests on an average, people who are working sort of from home are working on average, you know, 45 minutes a day extra. And, and there's, there's obviously a distribution around that. For, so, so for some people, it's a much longer period of time, additional time that they're working from home. That has a whole series of consequences. And there are, if you like, sort of a, there's a duty of care that employers will need to embrace as part of this new deal uh, with actually sort of working hybrid. So it does change, if, if you like, the social contract between employees and the business and what it is they need to care about. And I think it's been a really interesting part of this discussion that we've seen publicly as both employers, uh, employees and other groups have really sort of shifted uh, if you like, sort of that shared interest around health and wellbeing, psychological uh, well-being, wellbeing, uh, and what happens in people's homes as part of, if you like, that shared responsibility. And I just, I love
2: that that social contract comment, Peter, because something that um, I think companies who are adapting to this really well have done is that a social contract in an organisational sense has often been implicit, right? It is really important in my mind, or companies who are embracing hybrid to make their social and psychological contracts with their employees more explicit. I think the companies that are going to find themselves being successful in their employee value proposition are going to be a lot more upfront um, and use, the, use what it is that they offer from that social perspective, things that you wouldn't normally talk about uh, or think about when you're signing on with a business. What can I expect from the, the company in terms of the values that you share? what are the purposes, how do you live that purpose? What opportunities are you going to give me to be able to invest in causes uh, or dedicate my time to uh, particular purposes that I feel are important? How do you live those and how do you bring that forward? And how is the the give and take of the things that used to be implicit between an organisation and an individual I think it's going to be really important to spell those out and talk about those more explicitly because they will form parts of an employee value proposition in the future that prospective and current employees will be looking for and they will make decisions about where they want to work based on those.
1: And it's almost mainstreaming what we've seen some exemplar companies do for a number of years now so i think that's a really interesting part of this what seemed to be a bit of an outlier a very innovative way of doing things it's now coming to the center and and uh, effectively being seen as the way forward as we move out of this particular situation we're in
0: ensuring a work-life balance is no longer just a dream For many employees, it's a key priority when making career and professional development decisions. In a world where attracting and retaining talent is increasingly front of mind for businesses, it's time to assess how technology really functions in the workplace. A hybrid workplace model enables employees to embrace greater flexibility and the autonomy to choose when, how and where they work. James, yourself and Cisco have thrown away the phrase work-life balance. Why is that?
2: Work-life balance uh, for us, uh, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a misnomer. Um, we, uh, we work alongside uh, a number of, of external um, researchers similar to, to Peter. Um, and the philosophy there, if I look at uh, one Marcus Buckingham, is he does a really nice on-stage skit where he talks about work-life balance. In order to achieve balance, you require uh, the, the world around you to to play ball with you. <laughs> you, need, you need other people in sync, you need things in sync, you need control over things that you just actually don't have control over. And if I liken it to standing on a seesaw um, and you have someone from your home jump on one side and someone from work jump on the other side, there's not much that you can really do other than plead and beg and influence to try and get those folks to act in the way that you need to. Uh, in order to achieve the balance that you're looking for and what's even more ironic is that if if you were to ever achieve balance between uh, those folks who have such influence over those corners of your life um, you, you would have to tell them to stop doing whatever they were doing in order to hold on to that balance if you were able to achieve it even for a second you'd be pivoting to your left and pivoting to your left saying right stop i've got work-life balance whatever you do don't move no no, no. i don't care what you've got going on and i don't care what you've going on i've got balance just stop so you can see the practicality of that so the, the way that we think about it and the way we, we encourage um, our people and, and others in the community to think about it is that it's work-life integration work-life integration offers flexibility for you to be able to adjust um, when the dynamic elements of your personal or professional life interfere <laughs> with the balance that you're trying to achieve um, but it also allows you to be dynamic in the way that you manage it day-to-day Um, You may have a particularly heavy homeschooling day and and you need to have the ability to work with teams and and other people in your life to be able to make that work. You might have an enormous presentation or a deal or a bid that you're working on at work and you need to make compromises on the other side. But the bottom line is that 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 integration needs to bend and flex with the challenges that are posed to you in your professional and personal life. And people need to have the flexibility, uh, the trust, Uh, And the collaboration to be able to work with all of those around them uh, in a way that's going to allow them to bring those two elements of their life together in a healthy way, whichever particular day and whichever particular challenges are being posed
0: to you. The key word here seems to be flexibility. Am I right?
1: So I think trust becomes a very important thing. But it does mean, as we've already suggested, there's a slight change or a significant change even in the 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 nature of the things that both the organisation is concerned about uh, around the employees' uh, welfare and other sorts of things, but also it requires the employee to flex uh, in response to the organisation's needs as well. So reciprocity, I think, is the third piece that goes with that.
0: James, how how does leadership change in this new landscape?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because it follows on a little bit from what, what Peter was saying. So, so first of all, we, we've hit on the listening. Listening going to be ultra important because, again, it, we, we keep on hearing another word we've been using a lot is experimenting. You know, when you're doing an experiment, you're trying things, some things are working, some things are not working. It's going to be really important that leaders and businesses are listening to their people because that experimenting is going to be going on for quite a long time to come. So picking up on what's, what's working and making it easy to adopt, picking up on what's not working and taking those ideas and helping to adapt them to something that will. Um, We've had a a number of challenges um, with some corners of our workforce where people just haven't been taking a break for various reasons. Um, You know, they're at home, there's nowhere to go. Um, Their work in their home have become so synonymous that it's very hard for them to differentiate. It's really important that leaders model the way and look after that well-being and do the checking in that Peter was referring to to make sure that people are getting downtime and are putting themselves in a position to create healthy integration between work and life and help them reclaim their homes in many ways as places where they can be themselves, can be humans, can connect with their families.
0: Certainly, technology is making people's lives better in many ways. Amongst the immense change we've undertaken, there are obviously huge benefits. More time for family and friends, more time for self-reflection and self-care. But this change in the nature of work has real-world impacts on society that are worth exploring. So when, when businesses prioritise well well-being, does that have a trickle-down effect onto the broader community?
2: I would certainly like to think so. <laughs> um, and, and I think as we, we talk about work-life integration, um, I think it definitely will do with the individual level. Um, we've definitely got evidence of a number of the, the rituals we put in place. Um, and for example, we have weekly yoga sessions, we have weekly meditation sessions, uh, we have on-demand programs around adopting what we call the Cisco Mindset, which helps people uh, understand what it means to have a growth mindset. So we're really encouraging and trying to drive well-being at that corporate level. But as the veil between the professional and the human continues to thin, uh, what you would hope would be that those rituals, the healthy rituals that perhaps companies are starting to work with their employees on permeate into their personal lives. Peter, I don't know if you've got any thoughts or anything empirical
1: on that well i think that's a, that's a, and it's great cisco's doing that and you'll find there are there are sort of some you know plenty of large companies doing a range of different things around this sort of space but it's uneven. So one concern is whether this sort of creates a new inequality in the workplace. So for some, where they've got sort of employers willing to go down this path to experiment, to take what broader you might call the high road, you'll find many employers don't have the resources or the capability or are just not inclined to actually head down that path at all. Maybe
2: a counterpoint to that though, Peter, will be, and this, this predates the pandemic, but let me also talk to you about what we've seen post at Cisco, but this also then puts firmly in play a number of um, the foundations and external corporations who have a role in the community supporting those with uh, disadvantaged or struggling with mental health. But of course, it spans the full gamut of of the human condition. Um, But they've played a role since time immemorial of trying to bring equality um, around whatever particular cause they're on, and they work very closely with companies and with the community in order to bring attention uh, and focus and and yes, funding to their cause. And hopefully that's where those external bodies can step up and and step into those opportunities. And again, companies will be interested in that because that will talk to their purpose, it will talk to their values, and it will talk to how we can bring a healthier work-life integration for our people by taking part in and partnering with these folks so using third parties' momentum to perhaps balance that out a bit might help. I think there's an opportunity there for companies, for, for foundations, and for not-for-profits who who are purpose-led and values-driven, uh, to step in with companies and really help equalise the opportunity that people might have to drive the well-being agenda further into our community.
1: Totally agree with you. The question is going to be: Is that going to be enough? And uh, can say small and medium-sized firms? which don't have sort of uh, uh, HR departments, don't necessarily have huge margins to be able to, you know, to be able to sort of uh, underwrite different types of interventions they might might be able to use, is, you know, is that going to be enough? So, and I don't think we know, we'll just have to wait and see how things sort of pan out from here.
0: So how do we get here? Many workplaces are charging ahead with hybrid working, but Others are still working remotely and they're planning their return to the office. So in light of the current uncertainty, who should be leading this change to hybrid working?
1: Well, I think there's plenty of space for many leaders to play a role. For one, I think leading companies have a huge part to play in modelling the way forward, being innovative and showing us what is what is possible. I think for many employees, as James has said, repeatedly in this discussion. It's important to listen to them. They have a lot of knowledge, experience to draw on, and we'll have lots of ideas about how hybrid can work, not just for them, but for their team and the organisation. So we need to be, uh, if you like, sort of allowing them to play uh, a leadership role as well. I think there will be a renewed interest in things like uh, uh, finding uh, best practice cases or good examples from other companies as we begin to learn from each other. A lot of this knowledge will need to diffuse out, not just from a work team into the organisation, but from one organisation to the other uh, if we're going to make this work.
0: And at least at the the company level, James, uh, what's your advice for, for companies to implement a hybrid model?
2: Having an understanding of what your employee experience is. What is the employee experience that you used to have and how did your employee value proposition wrap up in that? What is the employee experience that your people are now expecting? I think the key other element though, is as you're doing that as a business, think about it from a team's perspective. At Cisco, we've got a very firm philosophy that if we get teams right, we know that we win. People who have a shared understanding of what the work is, people who have a shared understanding of the rituals and norms that are required to be successful and productive people who have an interdependency on each other for that success and people who are creating an employee experience that they all want to be a part of. It really is the nucleus of the business. So making sure that as you're transitioning into that hybrid world, you're giving your teams and the leaders who lead those teams the empowerment and the trust to be able to define for their little nucleus what hybrid work, successful hybrid work looks for them And giving them the opportunity to embrace that and experiment with
0: it is having the choice of of how you do your job and where you do your job is that going to be the defining element of success for workplaces in the future
1: i think it's going to be one part of it so as i said for a couple of reasons uh, this choice issue is going to matter in the increasingly intense competition for talent and retaining the types of skill, capability, and so on that you want to have in people that you employ. There's no getting around it. That that sort of uh, choice is now part of that, that sort of equation. But at the same time, as we've discussed in an earlier part of this um, uh, discussion, uh, th- there needs to be some boundaries around that sort of choice because it's not just about the individual, it's also about the team and what the organisation's needs might be.
2: Yeah, and I would agree. I think, you know, the surveys do a good job of strongly telling us that 90% of of folks in Asia Pacific uh, are really going to expect to have that choice. But you're absolutely right. The interdependence of what is required by the team, um, I think, makes that a shared choice, right? We need to have a a, a common understanding um, of what that responsibility means. There's going to have to be some give and some take uh, around how is this is going to work to make sure that the collective and the collective can be the team, can be the business, and we, as we've discussed also, it can also be the family and the community. Uh, but going in with that is the empathy, right? Recognising the, the, the being part of a wider community, whether it's professional or human, um, and recognising that we're in this together, recognising that you're not the only one who is being faced with this choice and being um, expected to make uh, decisions on a daily basis about where you need to be, what you need to be doing, who you, or what you're accountable for, and who is dependent on you. So I think it's really about um, making conscious choices about how to do your job and how to be, how to live your life as a human being moving forward.
0: And thank you for joining me today on the podcast, Peter Garn, professor of management at the University of Melbourne, and a research fellow at the Centre for Workplace Leadership. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Heidi and James. I really enjoyed the discussion.
0: And from Cisco, James Comer, Head of People and Communities, Australia and New Zealand. Thank you as well.
2: Thank you, Heidi, and thank you, Peter. It was a great conversation, learned a lot, and uh, look forward to the next conversation.
0: Darren doesn't know why he felt nervous. Once he saw his colleagues in the office, he felt genuinely supported and was happy to be working for an inclusive company. You've been listening to The Future is Inclusive. The Future is a workplace built on empathy. To learn more about how workplaces that are built on empathy are leveraging technology, visit cisco.com.au/slash bridge to possible.